name's Adam Thomason, uh, currently living in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And what I want to do with this message is really challenge your ideology of the unseen. Um, the Lord has taken me on this journey. In the last probably five years, I've had the privilege of being able to walk in circles that I didn't get the privilege of walking in in my first 17 years in ministry. I'm 38. So the Lord has taken me to places like Ghana. He's taken me to the borders of Colombia, Venezuela. He's taken me to the Mediterranean Sea of Malta, Italy, and France. Uh, he, he's taken me to places like Sudan when I was young in Palestine. And I've seen uh, a, a key theme and a key driver is that people need hope in the dark time. One of my current mentors, he's a Messianic rabbi, uh, he says, you in the, in the West, so he's talking about all of us in this room, you in the West, when you all uh, speak and you look at the scriptures, you look at it to inform yourself, to gather information, right? Ga David slew Goliath. Christ rose uh, from the grave. Moses hit the rock. But he said, y'all don't have the capacity to understand the emotions behind the information. And so many times you miss speaking to everyone in the room because one thing when you talk about the emotions of people is that we all have them. We all can get to a point to where we're overwhelmed. We all get to the point to where we feel shame. We all get to the point to where we don't feel good enough. We all get to the point to where our identities are so defined by the world's messaging that we can't even hear what God is saying about our identity. We get to the point to where the magazines define who we are and not God. See, that's not information. Demons had the same information about Christ. But in their emotion, in their belief, they did not see him as Lord. So I want to challenge your ideology of the unseen. I know you've been going through a series called Believe the Hype, and I want you to believe the hype about the unseen. When you're in a place where you can't see things, then you should rejoice because beauty is about to come, and we're going to get into it. I got one verse. Many verses will proceed from it, but I got one verse. Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of the things hoped for and the conviction of the things not seen. Assurance, hope, conviction, unseen. In verse 2 it says, Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. They lived a life of not Walking in the seen, but the unseen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen with our eyes was made from the things not visible. Don't miss that. What you see was made from the things, in a better way so you understand it, they were made from things that did not even exist. Now, you tell me how that happened. 
If you pull out your iPhones, pull out your laptops, your cars, your forks, spoons, the clothes that you have on. When man creates, they're using something that already existed. The writer of Hebrews is trying to separate God and said, do not put God in that category. It says in Genesis 1 that the God was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says, the Spirit of God hovered over the circle of the deep. Hebrew translation, he hovered over the circle of avoided darkness. And out of that void and out of that darkness came light. Where did light come from? We don't ask that question. We just say, oh, information, light came out of dark. But where did it come from? There was no material of light that God borrowed from someone to make light. The world that we have in its beauty came from the unseen. And I want to challenge your ideology of when you say, I am going through a dark time. I can't see what God is doing. God is saying, you are right where I was when I created the earth. Something beautiful is coming. So love those words. You can't see it? Yes. God, the light's coming. When you hear the words, in your head, in your conscience, and when Satan tries to leverage it against you, you're the, you know what? I don't know what God is doing. I can't see it, man. I, I've never been here before. Smile. And you say back to the enemy in your conscience, enough. God is going to create something out of the unseen. Because you have assurance. You have hope. You have conviction. And this is what we're going to get into. The first thing in understanding the hype about the unseen, there is no manual. And I love that. And I want you to think about that. There is no manual, there is no pre-existing guide to let us know that what's going to happen is going to happen. But it happens. Let me break that down. If we were to start a business together, guess what we're going to say, thinking we're good and we're astute and we're being wise and stewards of our time. Guess what we're going to say to one another? Let's do some research. Is there a guide? Has someone done this before? And guess what we do? We put that ideology upon God and say, God, in order for me to have faith, I need you to show me something that existed before to justify this faith walk that I'm about to have with you. And God says, that is not how the world started. Do you realize that? That's not my foundation for how I did the world. And guess what? That is not my foundation for how I deal with anyone in the scriptures. You throw out any name. Jesus there is no manual. There is no guy. You say, well, he knew his mission was to go to the cross. That's information. What about the emotion? Why did he sweat drops of blood then? If he had the information and the information was easy, 
Why did he suffer and need it to be ministered to by angels? Why did he show emotion when he saw the disciples sleeping? Don't miss it. He had to go into the unseen. <laughs> he had to take God the Father at his word that he would raise him from the grave. Even Christ said of God the Father, of himself, no one knows the times in the epochs. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He could have said, I'm sending myself. Colossians, all things were created through him, by him, and for him. He's all powerful. He, he has the, the authority, but he says the Holy Spirit. There's no guide and there is no manual when we're dealing with the unseen. Let's move down to the second phase, to the story of Moses. Because when there's no manual, we got to remember that going into the unseen is very overwhelming. And this is the part that I really want to hammer and I really want to stall because I think in the West, in our uh, church culture in the West, right, over 330 million people, in our church culture, we tend to elevate information and shun emotion. So when someone says I'm overwhelmed or I don't feel or I feel this way or I'm going through it or I am like this, we tend to respond with scripture, with information, not scripture, to help them understand that God is with them emotionally. The two aren't the same. So to respond with information, I know that God is true, but does God understand a suffocating weight. Does he understand that? Can you explain that? Can you explain why they call him the suffering high priest so he's able to run to the aid of those who call upon him? Can you explain that? Or is it just informative? Let me inform you. When we look at Moses in verse 24, same chapter of Hebrews, We need to understand that Moses and what he went through, it wasn't easy. We read it as easy because we know the outcome. But I didn't say this last service, but this is what happens. You, you know, you do a great trial run on the first service and y'all get the, the, you know, the masterpiece of this service. But one of the things Moses did not have that we have, he didn't have the scriptures to read. Right, we know how Moses' story ends. So he kind of read like, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 you know. Moses, yeah, everybody know the story of Moses. Moses didn't know the story of Moses. <laughs> right? He wasn't in the story like, you know what, they're inspiring me right now. Red Sea coming. I got this staff, manna from heaven, like that. And that's how we tend to read that in it. So we lose the potency of the power of why the scripture is inspired to us. So verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If you miss this, you don't understand the Exodus story. See, we read into it as if Moses was the prince of Egypt, Moses, riding horses and chariots with his brother, 
high-fiving uh, Pharaoh and the raw God, and then he had this moment like, man, why are they treating those people bad? So he kills the one person, and then he runs. It, it, it doesn't say that. Sorry, Disney, that's not the story. The story is Moses had faith when he had grown up. It says he refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to share ill treatment. So he was ill-treated before he killed the man with the people of God than to enjoy the light of the life of fleeting pleasures. Let me, let me break this down to you. My son, seven. And so let's just say seven is the point of cognition. Joash, he's the king in the Bible. He became king when he was seven. So let's just say seven is the point of cognition where you can go back and forth where the child, child understands uh, responsibility, culpability, and consequences. So let's just say at seven, Mo- Moses is starting to realize some things, but he doesn't come to the, the fullness and the, and the fruition of what's happening. But let's just say for the first time at seven, his mom at the time that he knows is gives him the story of, man, we found you. Do you know we found you in the Nile River? Do you know that the Nile River is very dangerous? Filled with animals that should have killed you instantly. Torrent rapids, you should have drowned. And we saved you. Oh, man, mom, that's very grateful for that. Do you know that we believe the gods brought you to us? Not Yahweh God, but the gods, all ten of them. Oh, man, I'm so thankful for those guys. Do you know that we're not going to see you as less than? We're actually going to give you the same ring as my other son. Oh, mom, thank you. We're going to give you the same food. Oh, man, that's a blessing. But then something happens. Moses starts to grow up. He doesn't see people that look like him. Maybe words of his mom who actually preserved him in the other Hebrews gets back to Moses, and he starts to ask questions. And then it clicks in his head when he's all grown up. He says, I'm not one of you all. Actually, you propagated me. And though there's nowhere to go, don't call me son, mom. That's my mother. These aren't my gods. And it doesn't say, and they received it, revival broke out, and everybody was saved in Egypt. You say, you got treated very ill. Do you know how overwhelming that is for a, a person who's trying to find their identity? Mom, why did you put me in the now? He doesn't, he doesn't get to have that conversation. He has two moms, one who raised him, but one who birthed him. What was going on? Does Moses know about the edict? See, these are the, the emotional things that have to be uncovered for us to understand the potency of why it says, by faith, Moses. Because again, verse 1, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things unseen. I believe Moses had an assurance, a hope, and a conviction of things that he didn't see of the true narrative, but he says, I'm refusing that, and whatever ill treatment comes my way, I am going to be blessed. I don't know how, but it's going to show itself to be true. And fast forward, it doesn't show itself to be true until 40 Years later, post him being grown up, post him killing a man, post him going out into the desert. And that's what I want to stall on. Verse 25. 
after choosing to be ill-treated than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, he considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. God allowed something to manifest in Moses' conscience and picture to where he was looking ahead to Christ to come. Yes, it says that in the scriptures. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw himself, he saw him who was invisible. 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. And this is how we see Moses. I'm going to give you how we normally teach Moses, and then I want to reverse and teach it the way that I think it needs to be taught. We see Moses like this. Moses, put in the basket. He gets raised. Prince of Egypt is fine. He sees a person get get ill-treated. He kills him. He runs for his life. He's in the wilderness for 40 years. He sees a burning bush. The burning bush gives him a staff. He gives him these commands, say the I am sent him. He goes to Egypt, 10 plagues. Pharaoh says, go. Red Sea opens. It closes. They're on the other side. Egypt perishes, or Pharaoh and his army perishes. And we're like, yo, look at that story of faith. And we miss everything in between there. Now let's back up. 40 years. Let me ask you a question. If you saw a bush that wasn't consumed in Las Vegas, what would be your response? How do you go tell someone that? Is that, have you seen that? No, you haven't. <laughs> the whole story of Moses is a big unseen, right? All right, so when they tell me, first of all, I'm talking to a bush. All right, I'm talking to a bush. Bush is talking back. Told me to take my shoes, I took my shoes off. But the bush is talking. Okay, who should I tell sent me? I'm just looking at a bush. Well, tell them that I am sent you. Okay, I'll say that I am sent me. All right, great. Imagine him leaving from that. He puts on his stuff. He's like, all right, now I got to go talk to... Zippor, my wife, and I got to go talk to Jethro, my father-in-law, who I've known for 40 years now, who took me in when I was a fugitive, who I've raised my kids with, right, who is counting on me to preserve his inheritance and legacy. And now I have to go tell him that a bush told me to now leave with my family, with a staff, to free millions of people. And we read that like, yeah, that was normal, yeah. That's how we read it. You know how overwhelming that is? I mean, like, blessing of the second servant. So I saw what y'all just got married a day ago. So nothing's going wrong in y'all's house. So it's just like <laughs> everything's slow motion. Y'all got fans blowing and the hair and the breeze and stuff like that. Um, I remember, I said it because I remember when I went to ask for my wife's hand in marriage. And she comes from a broken home, so I had to go talk to her mom. And uh, I don't know if y'all ever had experience with talking with moms who had to raise daughters, so they had to be both the father and the mother. It's kind of like a double fear that you deal with, right? 
And so we got, we, well, I wanted to get engaged two and a half months after I met her, and we did. So imagine me going to a mom with our only girl in the middle of two boys, two and a half months, saying, yeah, I think you should let me marry your daughter for the, it's like, <laughs> how do you have that conversation? Now, this is just marriage. Think about this when it comes to leaving everything to go back into Egypt where Moses was a fugitive. Well, Moses, do, do they still have an edict out for you? I don't know. How are you going to provide for your family? I don't know that either. Where are y'all going to live? I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to protect you? Don't know that either. Well, what do you have? I got a staff. What does the staff do? Uh, I mean, it turned into a snake. It restored my hand. Jethro, you asked too many questions. Right? Imagine that conversation. It's not easy. So once we have that conversation with Jethro, he has a habit, then with his wife, right? And I'm just laughing at hilarity of that conversation not going well. But somehow he makes it through both of those conversations with his children, and he has to take them and go back to Egypt. Now, the Lord said I would send plagues, but he never says how and what they would look like. He says I will send plagues, right? And so the Lord says, okay, tell him I'm sending this plague, and tell him I'm sending that plague, and tell him I'm sending that plague. Now, you got two things that you, you should not miss in this overwhelming state. Moses is going to free the people, but at the same time, maybe in his mind he thinks that the people will pre be preserved through all the plagues. But if you go back and read the story in the first four plagues, Israel had to go through the first four plagues. So imagine that. Moses, you're supposed to be our leader. That's supposed to be our guy. Why are we going through these plagues? And Mo so now Moses is like, man, Lord, you got me out here looking crazy to these people. Right? So you got these four plagues. Now we go from five to ten. And, and, and to fast forward the story, imagine going from five to ten and then the last plague of the firstborn. If you don't put the blood over the doorpost, the firstborn is going to die. How do you get that out? Remember, it was millions of people at the time. See, in our brains, yeah, we got postal service, we got email, right? We got all these digitized ways. Don't read that into the story. You're the leader. You have to get it. Remember, God said, and if they don't put the blood over the doorpost, the firstborn dies. As a leader, I would have so much anxiety. You go, how are we going to get this out? It goes back to you, Moses. So when we talk about the unseen, it, there are anxieties there. And what we do in church culture is that we shun people for having anxieties. What I tell people is that I will hold your hand in the anxiety, but I have so much hope in God that he can bring us through the anxiety. So I'm not going to shun you for it because Christ had anxieties. But I am not going to let Satan declare to you that that is where you're supposed to stay. And so as Moses was wrestling what I believe what I call them kingdom anxieties, there are certain things that I think should make us anxious in a kingdom way. We see that the people put the blood over their door, doorposts, and those who didn't, there was a loud cry in Egypt. Now, what we do know is that it wasn't just Israelites who put the blood over their doorposts because when they left, if you look into the story, it says a mixed rabble came out of Egypt with them. 
Egyptians were converted during this time. And that's what happens when we lead this way. So in this overwhelming state, we see that Moses has to deal with his anxieties. He has to deal with being overwhelmed. And here's the last thing that I want to transition to with my, my last moments. He still didn't lose hope. So though there is no manual, though it's overwhelming, there is still hope in the assurance, in the hope, in the conviction, there is still hope. And what is the hope? So imagine now Pharaoh says go. Take everybody and go. Now Moses has another overwhelming problem. How do I move all these people in good? Don't miss that. How do you move pregnant women? Nursing children. Children who were just born. How do you move men who are probably working in Egypt? Right? Even though it was oppressive, some weren't equally as oppressed as others. How do you have that conversation and convince them? How do you move the cattle for sacrificing the gold? How do you move all those things? And then once you move them, you get to the edge of Hamsuf, the edge of land, and the Lord never gave him this manual. He, did, he didn't have uh, Google Maps. And so he gets to the edge and the Lord never said, you know what? And when you get to the edge, I'm going to part the Red Sea. There was mumbling and complaining. Moses again is at this point. And then the Red Sea happens. <laughs> again, didn't say this one in the first one, but y'all get it. I imagine, because this is how he did. He put his staff there, Red Sea parts, and everybody just went through like it was no problem. Some of you already know where I'm going. You put that thing down there, parts, and it's like, well, how long is it going to stay up, Moses? Is it, is it going to close? Because we assume that people's just parting the Red Sea all the time. Right? So you ask something like, oh, I don't know. You go first. You go first. Let me, let me see what it does. <laughs> right? You know? Um, so you got to convince people to get through this wall of water to get to the other side, right? Then you get the people who, who, who are in the middle and they just freak out, like, I'm paralyzed, right? So maybe some people had to go and, and shoulder other people, right? But there is hope. When we look at the Lord's promise, going back to the first verse, faith. The assurance of the things hoped for. The conviction of the things unseen. What is the hope? I'm going to give it to you. We walk past it every day. He says, the world was made by the things unseen. What is your hope? Is the very world that you occupy daily. And I want you all to think about that. Every time I wake up now, and I'm telling you, it's not a because someone told me to. It, it actually is God's promise. When that sun rises, I'm reminded that that sun once was not there. 
that sun did not come from another standard of sundom out there. The oxygen I breathe didn't come from another standard of oxygen. The eyes and the bodies that we have did not come from another standard of humanity. We in this creation are the walking promises that God takes the void in the unseen and makes beautiful things out of them. So what is the hope? This is the marvelous hope to me. And this is where I believe the enemy is very crafty. There are two types of darknesses that the enemy wants you to believe are the same. I'll say it again. There are two types of darknesses that the enemy wants you to believe are the same. There's a darkness of sin and oppression that can happen to you or you can manifest it upon others, right? That's physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, uh, educational abuse, systemic abuse, chauvinistic abuse. There's different types of darknesses that can happen upon us. And because that has happened, maybe most of your life, you then look at a trajectory of your future and you say, you know what? I know, in my situation, I know that I cannot trust man because my dad never kept his word. So therefore, man will never keep their word. And that's how some of us operate, because of the darkness of which, which was happened upon us. So now when we get into a darkness that is actually hopeful, a darkness of the unseen, we blend the two and we think that that is how God is going to deal with us based on that darkness. But this darkness leads to Eden, it leads to earth, it leads to light. And the two are not the same. And that's the hope. I mean, isn't it cool that as the sun is out, the sun will set. And as the scripture calls it, the lesser light. It doesn't stay there. It goes dark and then the sun comes back out as a promise of what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. So why is there hope in unseen? Because he left it there. See, we create beautiful things in our culture off of things that existed. But you give me anything. You give me the Mona Lisa. You give me the Sistine Chapel. You can give me um, Cristo and Jean-Claude, who's artists who wrap beautiful things in, in fabric. You give it, uh, you know, I study fashion. It could be anybody from Karl Lagerfeld and Hulk Couture and uh, Fendi and Prada. Th those are beautiful things. But what we do is we celebrate them and then we put them somewhere as a keepsake. But God did not put the sun somewhere as a keepsake. He kept it there for us to see. He didn't put us as creation somewhere as a keepsake. He allows us to interact with each other. Why? Because that is the promise that I take the unseen, the void, and I make beautiful things. Now, let me speak to you. Each and every one of us in this room, if you're honest, you have been and or are in a situation where you're saying, God, I've never been here. And you're praying for him to show you something as a sign from the past to give you encouragement for the future. But let's go back to Moses. There was nothing God can show him of a former parting of the Red Sea because it's never been done before. So the prayer needs to change. 
God, you have me in the unseen, in the darkness. Give me the strength to wait on the Red Sea to part. What is my Red Sea? What is my Eden? What is my earth? We keep looking back to our former glory. God says, I have a new glory. But until you pray for the new glory, you're going to be fixated on the old glory. And so if you go through Hebrews 11, look at all those names. Abraham, Sarah, Barak, Jephthah, Gideon, some who, who died in caves, some who were sawn in two. It says all of them died having received their promise from afar, knowing that God was the architect and the builder of their faith in the city, and they were strangers and aliens in the land. They died knowing that though something may manifest, this still is not my home, but Lord, I still trust you even in the midst of this darkness. The unseen beauty is coming, and that is the hope. I could tell you, we were in Ghana um, doing a documentary, northern Ghana, and when you look into the eyes of uh, those Ghanaians who were talking about the legacy of the slave trade, that they had participated in, and they said, our hope is that we could restore the sins that our forefathers and mothers had in the slave trade. When we're in the, the, the camps of Israel, these refugee camps, and people are getting ill-treated because of their skin color. We have to come to them and we say, I have hope that God is going to break through. He's going to bust through. And he's going to change something that you can't see. And to get reports that God changes it. Right? When I'm dealing with people in different various ministries who walk in shame because they did coke, they did crack, they did heroin, they, they've had adulteries, they've been promiscuous, and they're all wrestling with the shame of, but can God take this darkness and give me something beautiful I haven't seen? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And that's the hope. The message of humanity wants to juxtapose your actions and who you are up against what is seen. God doesn't deal in the seen. He creates beauty from the unseen. So when you find yourself in a moment saying, I'm in a dark time or I've never been here before, smile. Your earth, your Eden, your sunrise is coming. Let me pray.